all you've done for us. And Lord, you know, at this point in the service, this is not about pressure, but it's about relationship with you. We love you and, and we love to give. And so, uh, Lord, th thanks for leading us in that area of our life. We give you praise in Jesus' name. And could we all say amen together? All right, we're in Matthew 5. And uh, I'll invite you to turn there if you have a Bible uh, in your uh, online app. If you've got a Bible app, uh, we're using the New International Version. Uh, if you want to follow along, we're going to actually read quite a few verses this morning. Matthew 20, uh, chapter 5, verse 20 through 31. <clears throat> kind of continuing a series we started on the Sermon on the Mount last Sunday. Uh, probably the most famous, uh, best known uh, teaching that Jesus uh, gives, of course, in the book of Matthew or in the Gospels. Uh, last week, we saw Jesus come announcing the kingdom of heaven is at hand. There's a, there's a new king and there's a new kingdom. God has come to reclaim his world and his people. How do you know it's his world? It's his world. And we are his people. God has come to reclaim his world and his people to what we've done to the place. And what we've done to one another. <laughs> Could someone say hallelujah? There's hope for us uh, long, long term. Uh, Jesus, if you're familiar with uh, Matthew 4, he's been teaching the crowds, uh, doing uh, a lot of miracles. And th they're beginning to gather around him in huge numbers. And in chapter 5, he goes up the hill, sets down, which I think is interesting, sets down to teach uh, this multitude, these crowds, uh, about the kingdom and this morning what it looks like as we begin to be changed by the power of this new king and this new kingdom. This section this morning, we're going to look at what it begins to look like as we're touched by it and as we begin to walk it out. Jesus is going to take six laws from the 613 laws uh, in, in the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, and he's going to apply them to six areas of our lives. Okay, he's going to talk about anger. He's going to talk about lust. He's going to talk about divorce. He's going to talk about manipulation. He's going to talk about retaliation. And he's going to talk about loving your enemies. Okay, nothing very heavy. It's pretty light duty this morning. So, uh, you know, set back, get another cup of coffee because it might be necessary. But anyway, uh, and as he goes through these six things, he's going to help us see now what this new kingdom is, is, is all about. And, you know, with that list, I'm only going to get to three, and we might be here a while just to do that. But understand this. Jesus didn't come to institute religious morality. That is not what Christianity is all about. Jesus didn't come to institute a religious morality. Jesus didn't come to make it nice. Jesus came to make us new. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth someday. There's going to be a whole new thing. The lion's going to lay down with the lamb. The city of God's going to be lit with the very light and presence of God. What we see happening right now is part of the process that we're moving toward uh, a second coming of Jesus Christ in the world. And we look around and we scratch our heads and thankfully it's not going to be this way forever. <laughs> there's a new king and there's a new king. <laughs> Could someone say hallelujah? And of course that's 
That's what gives us hope. Um, this morning we're going to begin to see what that kingdom's all about. It's entirely different. Uh, upside down ethics, so to speak, and uh, very challenging in our lives. And as we read these things, I'm sure they might be challenging you this morning. I'm going to start in verse 20 where we left off last week and uh, go on from there. For I tell you uh, that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Uh, that was the last statement Jesus made uh, last week. And of course, it blew this crowd's mind because they, they, you know, they looked to the Pharisees and teachers of the laws as probably the most religious and most righteous people in their culture in Israel. And of course, that was something that Jesus was saying. What is, what is this going to look like? So he goes on, begins to explain it. Verse 21, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Anyone uh, who says to his brother or sister, Raka, uh, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in dangers of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, Leave your gift there in front of the altar. Go be reconciled to them. Then come and offer uh, your gift. Verse 25, settle matters quickly uh, with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you're still together on the way or your adversary may hand you over to the judge and the judge may hand you over to the officer and you may be thrown in prison. Truly I tell you, you will not get out until you've paid the last penny. Verse 27, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in her heart. Uh, if, if your right hand causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. How many th think that sounds a little different than the meek and mild Jesus that we think of sometimes? If your right hand causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. Throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Verse 33. It has been said anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you, anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality... Uh, makes her uh, the victim of adultery, and anyone who marries a divorced woman uh, commits adultery. Uh, th thank you, Jesus, for those kind words this morning. <laughs> Let's pray and go home. Jesus, we want to thank you for today. <laughs> aren't these challenging verses, and, and aren't they often misunderstood by legal moralists who try to create more rules on top of the 613 in the Old Testament. Uh, so maybe we could try to unpack them a little bit and talk about them. And maybe Jesus could give us some hope and maybe produce some healing in our life. So uh, let's go back to the first one. It talks about anger, beginning in verse 21 and 22. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. Anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, that uh, anyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Anyone uh, who says to a 
a brother or sister, Raka, is answer, answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, uh, will be in danger of the fires of hell. So Friday afternoon, I was studying these verses, thinking, oh, God, give me a different assignment. And, uh, um, and I, you know, I, I went online, and I was, you know, going to my uh, Bible uh, program, and, and I saw right there on the Internet, my search engine, a 15-year-old girl shot and killed uh, in road rage. Did anyone notice that down in Oakland, California? Of course, it's a common occurrence. It happens every day here in the United States. And I think the thing that touched me is she was with her grandpa. Um, I've, got a, I've got a granddaughter, and uh, they were out for a drive, stopped at a stop sign. Apparently, there was some words that were exchanged with another car. Someone started shooting. She was killed. I, because I have a granddaughter, it caught my attention, and I actually read the whole article. It got down to the bottom. I even read some comments, and uh, one of the comments grabbed my attention. It said, what's happening in society today? We are, we are being dehumanized. There's no dignity, no value to life. I thought, oh, man, isn't that true? So... So how do those things happen? I mean, a person doesn't go from zero to murder, you know, with one decision. I mean, how does this happen? Well, murder, of course, is the consequence of anger that is brewing and, and simmering underneath the surface. And, um, you know, Cheryl and I just bought a new house. Uh, we're downsizing at that stage. Don't have the kids around much. Uh, so it's a lot smaller. We absolutely love it, uh, except... Um, there are these woodpeckers, and um, we've got, there's this kind of border in the siding where it changed from, you know, this lateral kind of siding to this uh, shake area in our siding, and they love to sit on that border and just peck and peck and peck at that cedar siding. Now, why do they do that? What is in there? I mean, are there bugs in there? Is that lunch? Or is that a nervous habit? You know, like a tick? <laughs> you know, is that what they do for a coffee break? I mean, they leave the tree where there are bugs galore. And they, I don't know, I need a break. And I just go, i got to go peck on that house. It just ticks me off. I have a shotgun. I, you know, I don't know how many of you Maybe we're bird hunters when you were younger, uh, or now. Uh, I, you know, I grew up a lot of, a lot of hunting and shooting, and I, I, I have a shotgun if I could find it in one of my boxes. And uh, I've thought a few times. Uh, <laughs> okay, if, if, if I had my way, there would be less woodpeckers in my neighborhood. Let me just say that, okay? It might be less sighting on my house. I don't know, but but uh, there there would there would be less. And I'm I'm just sorry to say that to those of you who are bird lovers here this morning. What what makes me think that I'm more valuable than a woodpecker? Uh, you know, honestly, there are probably some scriptures that could support that. But don't we have a tendency when we're angry to exalt ourselves? And what we think 
as more important than what other people are trying to do? And don't we, I don't know about you, you're probably a lot holier than me, but don't we have a tendency to kind of dehumanize and diminish the value of the other person maybe that is hurting or offending us? I, I don't know how people become angry in their soul but, but Jesus is trying to address the idea that that anger is what leads to murder. But it's the same heart. And uh, so he goes on in verse 22 and he says, Anyone who says to their brother or sister, Raka, uh, is answerable to court. And anyone who says, you fool, uh, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Now for most of us, to be honest, you fool is not the top shelf thing we reach for, okay? <laughs> when we're looking to degrade or diminish or insult someone or maybe dehumanize someone, it may be, I don't know where you work, what they say, but it may be, you effing jerk. I, and the reason why I say that is because that's what Raka meant in Jesus' day. It was that vulgar. It was that barbed. It was that degrading and that, that insulting. Basically, what it was saying is you don't deserve to live. Your life means nothing to me. Now, what's wrong with that kind of contempt? Why is it so damaging in our heart? And why does everybody else have it but not me? That was a joke. Okay, just kind of leading along here. Why does everybody else... Why do we exalt ourselves in our own mind? Why are we so self-centered and so blind? What is it about the darkness in our soul? How we can be so dehumanizing? And, and the question is, how do we rehumanize our soul? How do we rediscover value for ourselves and, and for mankind? Of course, some of you are already preaching for me. You know, come to Jesus. Understand the value that God placed on humanity. God so loved the world, gave his only begotten son. And, and begin to understand again the love he has for you. God so loved you. He knows every sin. Every dark place you've been in your soul, he knows all those things. And yet, out of love, he died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin. And unless you allow him to embrace you with, with his love, you'll always be focused on what's wrong with society around you and what's wrong with the people around you. And you'll never allow God to touch you deeply in your life so that you can understand his love and begin to have his love for the people in the world. That's what rehumanizes us. That's what begins to restore our soul. And Jesus doesn't leave it there. Look at verse 23. He says, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. Go, first go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. If if you want to understand what this new kingdom's all about, you have to understand the value and heart God places on you and on people. 
And you, you have to begin to understand the value he places on reconciliation, which honestly, we don't get. We, we don't get this. We get angry and we just flip people off and we just write people off. We just shut the door on them emotionally and, and move on. That's the same as murder. We literally murder people in our soul. Shut them off, write them off, and just rock them. Just move on in our life. I, I recently said something, probably not uncommon for me, but I re really recently said something in one of our services, and a friend of mine, it just, it didn't, it wasn't right for him. It, it, it offended him. And it was because I didn't understand him and I didn't understand his values or his uh, view of things that were happening around us. And, uh, you know, I didn't know that. I was just, you know, being me, for better or for worse. And, and, uh, and so he, he texted me the next morning. He said, could we get together this week? And I thought, awesome, looking forward to it. And so I'm waiting there in the restaurant and as he's coming, I looked in his eyes and I thought, he's on a mission. <laughs> And uh, I'm so thankful for that. We sat down. He was so well prepared. He, he talked about what I said and, and how I didn't have the complete picture. And in a loving and direct and intelligent and highly spiritual and biblical way, he pointed out my ignorance. It was so good. I hated it. It was painful absolutely painful and absolutely de delightful at the same time because here I had a brother looking me in the eye. I don't know about you, but I need that. I need a brother. I need a sister. I need someone who will look me in the eye and be willing to pay the price of reconciliation and help me grow. You know, it says in Proverbs, as iron sharpens iron, so one man, brother, sister, sharpens the countenance of a friend. And it's, it's so true. We need that, but we don't do that. We write people off and we walk away. We try to be nice by stuffing our feelings. Jesus didn't come to make us nice. He came to make us new. He came to do a new thing in our life. He came to make us again image bearers of the gospel, image bearers of God's love, image bearers in our life and through our life to the world around us. And that, that has a price. That, that's not easy. That is difficult. And yet Jesus is making a new community of people that that will be their heart and that will be their values. And as a result, they will remove all anger and bitterness and malice and dissension. Isn't it amazing how we can talk about people but not talk to people? Just interesting how we do that with our lives and feel right, actually feel nice. That's amazing to me. Jesus didn't come to make us nice. He came to make us new. And he came to give us a heart like God's for reconciliation. God so loved the world that he gave his son to die on the cross to pay the penalty 
for our sin, and he wants deeper relationships. Matthew chapter 5, verse 25 through 26. Here's what Jesus says. He goes on in this idea of reconciliation. He says, settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. <laughs> Truly, I tell you, uh, you will not get out until you paid the last penny. What does he mean by that? Well, the truth is, says in Proverbs, the way of a man is right in his own eyes. Aren't we always right? Aren't we always right? One of the most painful words I ever heard from my son when he came home from college one year is, Pop, you're always right. It's painful. You're always right. And uh, that's a very painful, painful thing, but it's true. Every man thinks he's right in his own eyes. Therefore, when there's a conflict, resolve it before you get to court, because when you get to court, you may realize you are wrong, and he is right, and you may pay every penalty, or every penny of that penalty uh, to, to, to the judge, and of course, the story. And I, I just really think what we need to catch here is, is is there's a new king and there's a new kingdom. And it's not always going to be comfortable. But God wants a community where everyone is proactive in dealing with miscommunication and hurt and resentment and anger so that we can together as individuals and as community be free from anger, be free from resentment and free from hurt feelings. Could someone say amen? Amen. Number two. Okay, that wasn't enough. He goes on. He talks about lust. Uh, verse 27. You have heard that it was said, you shall not uh, commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully, and I added with lustful intent, uh, the English Standard Version, the person who dehumanizes and objectifies and looks at a woman uh, Denying her dignity. Who looks at a woman with lust. Has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, I, I think we would all agree that adultery is very damaging, obviously, uh, to a marriage relationship. But it breaks apart families and shatters hopes and dreams. How does that happen? Well, people don't go from zero to adultery. <laughs> okay. uh, adultery happens for a variety of reasons, not always sex, uh, but oftentimes it's a result of lust, maybe for sex or something else, uh, lust being cultivated in your heart. And, and what Jesus says here in verse 29, I, I don't think we quite understand, verse 29 and 30, but Jesus explains here passionately that we need to be aggressive in dealing with this in our life. He says in verse 29, if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. Uh, if if it's, uh, it is better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to uh, lose one part of your body than your whole body uh, go into hell. Now. I don't know about you, I don't like statements like that. First of all, I don't understand them. Does he really want me to do that? I mean, Jesus, really? 
And, and, and of course not. Uh, but he is illustrating how aggressive uh, we have to be. Uh, now in our culture, of course, it's my body. It's my mind. You know, I'm not hurting anybody. And, you know, I, I, I know that. I've probably thought that. Uh, uh, this is every man's battle. Uh, this is not something that any of us sidestep in our life. But I want to tell you what Jesus is saying here is that lust is an enemy. And it's waging war against your soul. It's not a desire. It's not just a desire. Certainly there is a desire. But it's not just a desire. It's demonic. It wants to master you and to pull your affections away from God. And, of course, uh, when you're struggling in this area of your life, very hard for you to feel right with God and very hard for you to receive his affection or for you to give back uh, your affection to God. Now, I've seen a lot of people on fire over the years for God and, and then seen this particular battle pull them away and draw them away into, I don't know, infidelity or uh, premarital sex or, you know, whatever, pornography or, you know, it's just amazing. Now, okay, so let's be honest. God is not a prude. Okay, let, let me say that. I, I, I think this is where we struggle. We try, to, we try to accept religious moralism. Okay, this is not good, therefore I need to change. I need to go to church. Okay, great. Jesus is not instituting religious moralism. He's not asking you to cut off your hand or gouge out your eye. He didn't come. He didn't come to just try to give you self-control. He tried to he came to give us a new heart so that we see one another differently. We don't dehumanize, we don't degrade, we don't objectify. He wants he wants to do a new heart, rehumanizing, so to speak, our soul in a beautiful way. So uh, what, what you have to understand in this area is God is not approved, okay? God is the one who made us attracted to one another. He made us male and female. And when he did, and he, got, he, he didn't go, whoa, what have I done? Ah, trouble. Okay? God, God is the one behind sexual pleasure. He created it. He designed it for us to enjoy. He made us beautiful. After creation in Genesis 1 and 2, he said what? It's good. <laughs> in fact, after the, the seventh time, he says, it's very good. I don't know how the church, uh, religious moralism, got an image of sex that was dirty, could only be done in the dark, well, whatever, I don't know, stupid things. But it's interesting how ignorant sometimes in trying to be religious, we miss the whole point at all. Okay, if, if you read Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, when he saw uh, Adam, it's not good for him to be alone. I'll make him a helper suitable. What did he do? He took out a rib. This is, God is so romantic. Took out a rib, you know, close to his heart. And literally, like a craftsman, he fashioned a woman like a potter or as a painter. And, and when he, uh, he, he brought her uh, to Adam, literally in the Hebrew language, Adam said, wow. 
Now this is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of it. That is a song. Adam literally wrote a song about the beauty of Eve, his wife, as he fell in love with her and was attracted to her. Did you know there's a whole book of the Bible dedicated to love and the power of love and romantic, physical, sexual relationship? A whole book! A whole book! It's called the Song of Solomon or the Song of Songs in some translations. It's a great book. You should read it. Uh, really, you should. Uh, would be a great thing when you're dating, moving toward that covenant relationship of marriage. Great book to read. Great book for some of us who've been married for a while to reread and remind ourselves why God made this wonderful, intimate relationship for us to have with one another. Let me, let me read chapter 8, verse 6 and 7. This is like beyond romantic, okay? And um, the, the shepherd is talking to the woman he's fallen in love with, and here's what he says in verse 6. Place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm. I just love being next to you. For love is as strong as death. It's jealousy unyielding as the grave. It burns like blazing fire, like a mighty flame. Uh, many waters cannot quench love. Uh, rivers cannot sweep it away. If one were to give all the wealth of one's house for love, it would be utterly scorned. That's passion. <laughs> and that's the passion that God wants for you in your marriage relationship. I know many of us have been hurt, and as a result, this is an issue and an area where we feel dirty or that it's dark and it's very painful for us to try to move on and move past certain things in our life. But God created us to love one another and embrace one another, spirit, soul, and body. <laughs> but there is something important in these verses. In fact, throughout the book of uh, Songs, Songs of Solomon, uh, it, it says, don't awaken love too soon. And, and so that's super important, especially in our culture, in the day we live, because it is such a powerful force. And also, uh, here in these verses, it says it burns like blazing fire. Uh, how, how many know that fire is powerful? It's powerful. I mean, we've seen the effects of it. Uh, in the last few years, the last few summers, it's powerful. Now, it's a powerful force when it's contained, okay? Uh, this morning, I got up, flipped the switch on my, on my fireplace. It was so nice, whoosh, you know, and I had, I had heat. So fire contained is good. Our stove in our new little house is, is gas stove. We turn on the switch and whoosh, all of a sudden we have heat. We have a gas furnace. I drove my car here. That's, that's power uh, through fire, combustion engine, unless you have a Tesla and you're using electric, okay? But the point is that in, in the covenant of marriage, in the boundaries of a relationship and commitment till death do us part, uh, that physical relationship is, is, a, is a wonderful thing. It adds to bringing together mind, spirit, and body and does something 
super powerful in our life. But if you take it outside the boundaries, it can be very damaging. And in our culture and maybe in your life, you know, some of the most painful decisions you made was maybe getting close too soon, being involved in a relationship, and, and now all of a sudden that person moved on, and, and you just feel left holding the bag. You feel empty, you feel used, and... That's why Jesus is so passionate about this. Because he wants, number one, he, he wants a community where women feel safe. This is important to him. He wants a community. Notice he's talking to men here and not saying that women don't struggle with lust. The fast, fastest growing addiction in America today is sexual addiction among women. Okay, so there's a change in culture. Uh, I'm not saying this is not an issue for them, but he is addressing men here. And he wants women to be safe in the body of Christ. He, he wants us to understand the dignity and value of, of human beings and so he wants to bring healing in our lives. He wouldn't say these things if he didn't have the power to heal us, rehumanize us, and restore our soul. But Jesus, of course, says passionately, if your right hand high causes you to stumble, gouge it out. This is something we have to deal with aggressively. And you know, I don't know how you're doing that. Uh, brothers, I will say if your uh, smartphone is getting you in trouble, be aggressive, throw it away, get a dumb phone, okay? One that only phones and texts, okay? Because we have to try to help ourselves in this area uh, to, to have some boundaries uh, in our life. Uh, if some of us here, I know you feel trapped. I, I, could, never, I could never get free, and I, I, I know that feeling. I remember when I first became a Christian, I thought, I don't want to be a Christian because I don't want to deal with this area of my life, and I... I remember the challenges. Jesus, how do you heal the way I see? And how do you restore my emotions and my soul and help me stop objectifying and uh, undignifying, so to speak, uh, the beauty of, of people around me? And I, I want to tell you, nothing is impossible with God. You can, have, you can see your soul restored. And in this area of your life, and I, I just, I know the Lord, he's not trying to shame you today, he wants to heal you. And there's help, and there's hope, and we're here, and hopefully the body of Christ can help. Let me do one more, I know we're a little pressed for time. He moves on from lust to talk about divorce. Oh, Lord, are you kidding me? Um, <laughs> Matthew 5, 31. Uh, it has been said anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. Let's stop there for just a minute. So, uh, you know, divorce in the Old Testament was legal. It wasn't what God intended. Uh, Jesus talks about that later in about Matthew 19, how uh, it was never intended by God for us to get divorced. God cares about the sacredness of human life. He, he cares about the sacredness of two Beautiful people that he has fashioned in their mother's womb. He created them. God cares about the sacredness of their decision to, to come together in that covenant of a marriage relationship. So 
of course, never, divorce has never been on his heart, but it, uh, Jesus said in Matthew 19, it's because of the hardness of your heart that Moses allowed uh, you to get divorced, but it had to be with a, a, a certificate. In other words, you came to the, in that day, the church, and it was, it was uh, I don't know, it was, it was made civil. Let's put it that way. It was made, made civil with a, a certificate. And the purpose of that was for protection and safety and provision for women because in that day they couldn't divorce. Men could, and I can't get into that. But um, a woman wasn't protected or provided for with, without a husband. And so it gave her the right to get remarried because she had the certificate and long story, blah, blah, blah. In our society, you know, when we talk about divorce, we, we say, well, make it nice. You know, keep the kids out of it. Keep it civil. Make it nice. And I just want to say before we move on from here, Jesus didn't come to make us nice. He came to make us new. He wants to do something new. Nothing is impossible with God. He came to give us a new heart. He came to write his laws in our heart and in our mind. And he hasn't stopped believing in the sanctity of marriage. And that's why Jesus is so passionate here. Jesus isn't wanting to shame anyone in these verses, okay? This is not about the divorce that you got 20 years ago and uh, now you've been remarried, okay? He's not trying to put something on you through legalism. By the way, I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. <laughs> Old things have passed away and all things are new. And if you've been divorced and remarried, this new marriage is as sacred as any marriage, okay? Could someone say hallelujah for that? Okay, but Jesus is in these verses passionately saying, I want to protect the sanctity of marriage. And that's why he goes on to say, I tell you uh, that anyone who divorces his wife except sexual immorality makes her a victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman uh, commits ad uh, adultery. So I understand that this is a very challenging and a painful verse, but the point is to understand why in this new community, new kingdom, God wants us to be passionate about protecting marriage and the value of marriage and the importance of marriage relationship. In other words, he wants us to fight for it with everything we have in our life. He wants us to pray. He wants us to grow. He wants us to be broken and rebuilt. He wants us to communicate. And he wants to bring in you literally the life of Christ that he intended for you when he created you. I don't know about you, I could, would not be married today without Jesus. And I think most people who are married here today would say amen to that. I mean, there was a point where it was going south quickly. But Jesus, aren't you thankful for Jesus? Jesus can heal a broken marriage because he can restore your soul. He can heal your mind. You can understand forgiveness at a deeper level. You can understand the complexities. And I, I mean that literally, the complexities of loving another person. It, it is beyond human understanding. This is one of these areas where it's not by might or power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And I want to tell you, religious moralism is death to a marriage. 
You've got to understand, God wants to make you new and he wants to breathe new life into your marriage so that he can make you whole. I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up and, and uh, we'll move toward closing here. Now, uh, w- one, of the, one of the hardest things for me, or I, you know, painful, um, is, is when uh, a, a family, maybe a young couple or maybe even older couple, are suffering in private and won't reach out for help until it's like too late, you know? They, I get the email, um, do you know any Christian counselors who could help us with our marriage? And, and what they're saying is, help, we're drowning. And you know, my answer is yes, but what would really be better, I'll just say this, is if you are connected in a relationship with the community of God, if you came here more than once a month, if you offered your life to Jesus, to be made whole, and if you got connected in a more intimate community, we call them life groups here in the church, if you had an ongoing relationship with other people with healthy marriages, so you could see, and so you could ask questions, that's where real healing comes. And so many people are afraid, are afraid of what? I don't know, but all we are here in this church is just a bunch of broken people who found Jesus and found hope and are experiencing his healing in our life. That's all we are. And so please, if you're, if you're learning how to grow in your marriage, don't wait too long. Don't wait beyond the point of no return. Reach out. And, you know, when we do premarital counseling, I, I don't mind doing that. We're trying to help you see some things that... Um, maybe you haven't addressed, you know, love is blind. It makes you blind. <laughs> and you think, oh man, he loves me. He knows me. And then you get married and you go, oh, he doesn't know me at all. And uh, this is not what I thought. And uh, yeah, been there, done that, bought the shirt. But um, the best thing for you to do, if you're Feeling like God is drawing you toward intimacy and that covenant relationship, giving yourself mind, soul, heart, and body to this other person for the rest of your life till death do you part. The best thing you could do, and we we can do some counseling, that'd be fine. Uh, We're actually, you know, we have, we've been trained and we understand a few things. But the best thing you do is get connected with the body. Start talking about who you are now. Start talking about learning to love now. Start being open and transparent now so that after you're married, that's an ongoing thing in who you are and in your life. It just will help so much. And obviously, I'm paid to talk, so I'll stop there. Thank you, David. Yeah, well, anyway. Oh, Jesus, these are hard words. Every one of them, Lord. Uh, challenge us deeply in our soul. But, Lord, they, they move us toward having to answer some questions. Do I really want Jesus? And do I really want to follow Jesus in my life? Because if I do... I can't stay the same. I have to allow him to change me. 
through the power of the Holy Spirit with a new mind and a new heart. And I just want to encourage you this morning, if that's your desire, even though it's hard, commit your life to Jesus today. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart, open your heart. And I want to encourage you today. I'm not a big believer in altar calls and getting you to come forward. But I'm a big believer in you making that decision and telling somebody about it and getting connected with somebody. And it can be me this morning. It can be one of our prayer partners or it could be with someone you came with. But I want to encourage you, today's the day of salvation and today's the day to make the decision to commit your life to Jesus. So, Lord, for every person that's saying yes to do, and maybe that's you here this morning, and all you could say is yes. Just say yes to him right now. Yes, Jesus, I commit my life to you. I want you. I want you to be my king. I want to be a part of your new kingdom. So we thank you for that this morning. We thank you for hearing our prayers. In Jesus' wonderful name. Can we say amen together? Why don't we stand and get ready?